No two ways about it. We don't like that. So we try to look at this scripture and say, well, how can I change it? Well, the way I change it is this. Jesus had once said to his disciples when they were talking about, when he was talking about the tribulation, he goes, it's going to be so sad, bad that if possible, even the elect would go away. If possible. But this is not possible. He is correcting a error in teaching by saying, you can be a believer, you can fall away and be a believer again. That's what I believe he's hammering home to us, is that not that you can lose your salvation, but if you were able to lose your salvation, you can't get it back. And then he goes on and says in verse 7, for the ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those whose uh, sake it is, is also tilled, receives a blessing from God, but if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed and ends up being burned. Now, the commentators frequently will go to some Old Testament passages about Israel being cursed as this ground because God came. I think they're missing the point. Jesus says, if you want to understand most of his parables, then you need to understand the parable of the sower. And I think that's what the writer of Hebrews is reminding us, the parable of the sowers. And so in Matthew chapter 13, starting with verse 3, and he that being Jesus spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and was, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. That's who he saw. There are those who appear to be believers, because they come and they, and they are excited about God, and they'll, they'll give their testimony, and they seem to be waiting to open, for the doors of the church to be opened so that they might come and worship. And they're all excited. And then there's a period of time when the problems of this world come and God doesn't seem to come through that they fade away. Those are the thorns. And that's what I think he's talking about. He's saying, there are people in your congregation, as he's writing to these Hebrews, who you think are saved because they're doing all the right things but they will be choked off because of the cares of this world and they will fall away. They weren't believers to begin with. They were on the wrong soil. And the Holy Spirit comes and reigns, as the scripture says, it reigns on the just and the unjust. And we frequently say that God does good things to good people and good things to bad people. But also... He brings the rain, if you will, 
to show whether you produce fruit or you're choked off. That that rain, that Holy Spirit comes in your life so that it might show that you are a true believer because you produce fruit and you finish the race. You see, as I frequently say, you can have the fastest 90-meter run of anybody that's ever ran that 90, that 100 meter. But if you stop, not only do you not win the race, you don't finish the race. And believers are those who finish the race. So it says in, in verse 8, and others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some 100 and some 60 and some 30. He who has an ear, let him hear. Now, because you've read this scripture a lot and you've heard pastors and others examine the scripture, you already know what Jesus is going to say. The disciples were kind of clueless. They didn't know what Jesus was talking about. So I had to explain it to them. So in verse 18, he says, Hear then the parable of sower. Anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and takes away that what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns this man who hears the word and the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and bring forth some a hundredfold and some sixty and some thirty. So notice, Jesus doesn't say that if you don't produce a hundredfold, you're not a believer. He says that there are believers who will produce a hundredfold, and there are believers who will only produce sixtyfold, and there are believers who will only produce thirtyfold, but they're all believers because they all produce fruit. But the others don't. We are very tempted oftentimes to look at each other and say, I'm a fruit inspector. Let me see your fruit. The true answer is we are to be self-fruit inspectors. What profits a person if he is able to tell who are believers and who aren't, if he can't tell whether he or she is a true believer? You need to self-inspect, not make it your job to inspect others. But the writer of Hebrews is telling us there are those who seem to be believers but aren't. But those, if they were to truly be believers and become apostate, to fall away and no longer believe, then they can't receive forgiveness again. Because again, as this writer says, you are then having Christ crucified again for your sins. And that places him in open shame. And so 
this conclusion of mine, since it's written to correct error and teaching, and it doesn't teach that you can lose your salvation, I want to hit a number of scriptures so that it might reassure you of your salvation. So John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus speaking says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I will give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Jesus says, if you're mine, you hear my voice, and you know me, and I know you. And once you're mine, you're mine. I've got you in my hand, and no one can take you out of my hand. And, and in case you're concerned about the power of Jesus, not only does Jesus have you in his hand, then the Father has Jesus and you in his hand. You are doubly protected, and no one, no one can snatch you out of his hand, not even you. Then Romans chapter 8, which I love in, in you know, verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all the day. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, this is in the midst of a, oh yeah, baby, you're secure. It's yeah, you're secure, but don't expect everything to go wonderful. We're considered to be like sheep to be slaughtered. So even when you're being slaughtered, you are still protected by God. In all of these, but in all of these things, we not just get by by the skin of our teeth, but by these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And notice we become believers and we are secure, not because of our ability, but because of his promise and his power. For I am convinced, that means I don't have any questions. I'm not insecure about this. I don't have to think about this day. And I am convinced that neither life, no, I'm saying neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I dare you to find anything both physical and spiritual that is exempted from this list. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is through Jesus Christ, because he's talked about life and death and powers, and he's talked about angelic beings and those powers and demonic powers. He's saying, Everything physical and spiritual cannot separate you from the love of God, which came through Jesus Christ. And then he says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. For I am confident, which means I'm not, I don't suspect it. It's not like, well, this might be true. This might. No, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God starts to work in you. 
You don't start the work in you. God starts the work in you, and God finishes the work in you. He will perfect it. He will complete it. He will make you perfect. It is God's work, not yours. He began a good work. He will perfect it. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with uh, verse 2. And I'm using these various because some are written by Paul and some are written by Peter and some is written in the gospel so that you might feel secure that in your salvation, you are secure. And so Peter even says, Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullness measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused, caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. It's getting harder to make a reservation even at a hotel. God says, you're my house, the house of the Lord, that David talked about, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord. You have a reservation. For you who are protected by the power of God through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So again, Peter's saying, this isn't something that you lose. This is something by the power of God that you keep by the power of God. And those of us who will be saved and those of us will be revealed at the end. Those who are thorns and, and all that, that'll be revealed. As we finish. And then the one that I frequently use for those who think you, they can lose their salvation is found in Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 21. Again, Jesus speaking says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. So Jesus says, it's not everybody who cries out and says, oh, I'm, I'm Lord. And we've even cheapened that in, in some of our attempts in, through churches to get people to accept Jesus as Savior. We never have them accept Jesus as Lord. So even you go to the point where you say, okay, Jesus is boss. Jesus is boss. But if you don't treat him as boss and you're not, it, he's not your boss. So it's not everyone who says so but those who do what he says. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Oh, this is so today. There are songs, there are preachers who will talk about, just name the name of Jesus and all these wonderful things will happen. And they'll say, Jesus, we proclaimed your name, we prophesied your name, we preached, people came. This is the wonderful thing about the gospel. 
I can be a 100% reprobate. I'm not quite that 100%, but I can be. And if I speak the truth, God will use his spirit to convict people. Your faith is not dependent on who I am. It's dependent upon the word of God. So it's not, okay, I have to be a believer to then communicate to you to be a believer so that you're a believer. There are a whole lot of people in a lot of churches who are thinking, and unfortunately in many pastors as well, who are thinking, well, I did some great things. I preached in your name. I prophesied in your name. I even cast out demons in your name. I mean, I got to be wonderful. And performed in your name many miracles. Again, it's not the show. It's the doing his will. And then the coup de gras, verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, I want you to notice something. Jesus said, I never knew you. He didn't say, I knew you and you messed up and now I don't know you. He said, I never knew you. And so many people in the churches frequently will come because they, their parents bring them or their parents think that they need to go to church, whether they're believers or not. So they come to church and they hear the, the gospel and whatever, and either because they feel convicted or don't feel convicted, they make a profession of faith and they get baptized. And we'll say they're 11 years old when that happens. And to go, praise God, wonderful. And then uh, they grow up and the church never seems to impart to them the faith. They then go to college where the professors and the fellow students ridicule them for being unimaginative and needing a crutch and that God is only the God of the gaps and all these things. And then all of a sudden they drift away. And then let's say at age 25, they get married, but they need to get a career and all that. And then they wait. And so then they have a family and then they go, well, my parents took me to church, so I need to take my kids to church. And so they take them to church and whatever. And then they decide, I need to return to the faith or need to be in the faith. If they were believers and they walked away from the faith, They weren't necessarily apostates. They need a revival. They need to come to the grips that they have gotten away. They were like, if you will, the prodigal son. But they're always the son. But if they only did these things for show, Jesus says, I never knew you. Your initial, quote unquote, salvation experience was not genuine. 
didn't know you then, didn't know you through college, didn't know you after college, didn't know you, period. So we need to be very careful how we phrase things when we say, well, I, I went away from the faith. Well, if you went away from the faith and became apostate, the bad news is you're wasting your time here. If, on the other hand, you are more like the prodigal son who was a believer, and then God calls you back into his arms, you're really no different, if you will, than many of us who lack of faith, don't believe God will do things, or lack of faith, live a less than discipleship life. But you see, Jesus says, you don't get saved and then lose your salvation. Jesus says, you're either mine or you're not. You either hear my voice or you don't. If you're mine, I hold you in my hand. My father holds you in his hand and nobody can take you away from me. So I think the writer of Hebrews has written this passage not to scare believers and not to scare unbelievers, but to help teach us that our security is in God. That we are his because we are his. He began a new work. He's the one who perfects it, not us. All too often, we want to take the credit. We want to say, well, I came to faith. No. God gave you grace to give you faith. It's not your faith. Even the faith that you have is a gift of God. If, and it can't happen, but if you could be a believer and lose it, then not even God can help you. That is a scary proposition. And he wants to tell us, take your salvation seriously. It's not, oh, well, I believe and I don't believe and I believe and I don't believe. If you find yourself in that category, maybe you're not a believer. And he's saying, the way you guys are teaching, if you became a believer and then didn't become a believer, you can't become a believer again. What soil are you? If you're producing fruit, Praise God. If you're not producing fruit, then you need to start questioning yourself. And now is the time to come to him because he will never cast you out. Notice he didn't 
overly compliment the one who produced 100 and the one who produced only 30. Because maybe the plant that was producing the 30 was only capable of producing 30, was doing all that it could. The plant that was producing 100 was capable of producing 100. Similarly, just because we sit in the pew and look right and left and say, well, I do more than that person and I do more than that person. Well, the person in front of me maybe does a little more. And the person behind me, they're behind me because they're trying to avoid whatever. It's not what the teaching is. The teaching is look at your life. Make sure you are not the soil that is the thorns. Because you're basically wasting God's rain. Because as it says, it's the same sun that melts wax and hardens a brick. God's rain will demonstrate whether you produce fruit or you produce thorns. Still God's gift and God's grace. Don't use his gift for your purposes, but use your gift to produce fruit, to declare his glory. And be secure, even if you're not a great Christian, even though you may have feet of clay, you're still his. Because nothing not even yourself, can separate you from the love of God. I hope you've heard these verses. You've heard the warning, but the warning is a warning only to teach us that it can't happen. But also the security that once we have our faith in him, we are secure in that faith forever that we will always dwell in the house of the Lord. He knows us or he doesn't. It's one or the other. So your life may be crazy right now. There may be all kinds of problems. There may be illnesses. There may be financial problems. There may be work problems or school problems or whatever. Or you may, in, because of your faith, be bit, beaten up by the world because of whatever. The song that we're going to sing says, It is well with my soul. There may be storms. There may be winds. Satan could beat us up. Even in all of those things, my body may be taken a beating, but it is well with my soul. And all God's people said, <laughs>